I'm sure we are all concerned by the escalating conflict currently taking place between Israel and Palestine, as well as the loss of lives, including children. War is a tragedy and causes so much pain and trauma. May we continue to pray for peace to prevail. Kevin Connor had a particular interest in Israel and God's plans and purposes for this people group, both historically and in our time. This is a sensitive topic, and he always sought to handle it with both grace and truth. A copy of the handout notes for this teaching series can be downloaded for free as a PDF or Word document at www.kevinconnor.org forward slash Israel. Also, the material from this teaching is covered extensively in three particular books by Kevin Connor, What About Israel, Restoration Theology, and New Covenant Realities. Visit his website for further details. Although given well over a decade ago, we hope that this timely teaching will assist you in navigating these current times with both faith and wisdom. All right, now on the way in, you should have got uh, session five and session six. Okay, so we're uh, going to have two, two sessions on the same area tonight. Okay, so how many were not here last week? Why? Oh, that's right. And I wasn't here, that's it. <laughs> you got me, got, caught myself there. Uh, how many were here the week before then? Okay. Or oh, how many were not here? All right, how many, uh, why, <laughs> anyway. All right, how many enjoyed the session we did on uh, what about Israel? Did, did that answer a lot of questions for you? You know, so you know I'm not Hitler's son-in-law or anti-Semitic or anti-anybody. Uh, what was Paul's prayer on that one? I, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is what? That they might be saved. That's the bottom line. So we're not anti-anybody, whether Jew or Gentile. They've got to be born again. They've got to be saved. That's it. Or they're not. So tonight we're going to do two sessions on what about the city of Jerusalem. So I want you to turn uh, uh, and a little bit of history tonight. I hope it's not too boring, but uh, we do need a little bit here. So turn to Psalm 122. And uh, it's only a short psalm, but we'll read the few verses here. All right, Psalm, Psalm 122, I'm reading from uh, New King James. I was uh, glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not I was mad or sad, but I was glad. Uh, our feet has been standing in, uh, within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companion, companions, I will now say, peace be uh, within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. All right, the controversy that we want to handle, and we'll take the, the two sessions to do it. How many have heard this saying, you've got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Hands up. All right, uh, how, how, how many handle this uh, saying that my wife and I have bumped into just a few places, that any church that doesn't pray for the peace of Jerusalem uh, is under a curse? Anybody heard that? Okay, how many believe it? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? Hands up. How many are frightened? Get caught. Okay, that's what we want to solve, hopefully, by the end of our session and uh, when we have a uh, uh, short time of questions. Okay, now, let's go to our introductory here, and I'd like you to turn over to Galatians chapter 4. If you didn't get the notes, you should have got session 5 and session 6 uh, out in the foyer there. Okay, so let's turn over to Galatians chapter 4. And just, uh, just confirm, establish something that you already know, but uh, I think we just need to clarify a few things. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, and I'm reading, I'll just glance over verse 21, because we'll be coming back to that in, uh, in a little while. Verse 21 to 31, it's on your notes here. And uh, notice what Paul is saying. This is the main thing I want you to pick up here, that what we have to recognize is that there are two Jerusalems. 
Okay, and this is one of the clearest scriptures, and we'll be coming back to that later on. Uh, so he, he goes in verse, um, verse 25 and 26 will do for now. For this Agar, or Hagar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is. So everybody say, Jerusalem, which now is. All right, so what we're talking about in our first session here is that there's an earthly Jerusalem, Jerusalem which now is. And then he goes on and is in bondage with the children, as I said, we'll come back to that later. But in verse 26, the Jerusalem which is above. So everybody say Jerusalem which is above. All right, so the main thing we want to establish, even though you know it or you should, uh, that there are two Jerusalems, the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. So the earthly Jerusalem, which is below, which now is and is in bondage with the children, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us, uh, of us all. So um, first part of our session, I want to look uh, at a brief overview of the earthly Jerusalem and some important things about that. And uh, what about the day, uh, I think Emmy was saying that somebody said, uh, Jerusalem is the eternal city. Well, is that so? I, uh, I, I hope you believe me, uh, what I believe by the time we're through. Okay, Jerusalem, which is above. We'll do that in the second session tonight. Okay, so reading off our notes here, the Bible shows that there are actually two Jerusalems, the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. Everybody can say amen on that. Whether you agree or not, we should be able to say amen. The Jerusalem, which now is the earthly Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, which is above the heavenly Jerusalem. So two Jerusalems, uh, someone has put it this way, I think it was Charles Dickens, we'll probably do that next when we look at the uh, rebuilding of Babylon, uh, that the Bible is actually a tale of two cities. Uh, Jerusalem and Babylon, we'll deal, deal with that next week, I think. Uh, and it's also a tale of two Jerusalems. Earthly Jerusalem and heavenly Jerusalem. All right, a brief overview is needed to help us understand the biblical view of Jerusalem. It is first the natural, then afterwards that which is spiritual is first the earthly, then the heavenly. All right, so I want you to uh, uh, go with me and we're going to look first of all uh, under letter A, it is really the earthly Jerusalem. Now, just a little bit of history and uh, you do need this a little bit, but I want to, uh, I'm going, I've been very good to you and spoiled you. Uh, after we have our break, I'm going to give you a good overview sheet. Everybody say please. please. And then thank you. thank you. Those who didn't say thank you don't get it. All right. But I want to, I want to give you some sort of uh, sense of direction where we're going tonight for a start. So first of all, you can uh, you will get the sheet on this, as I said, but I'd like you to, uh, we're going to break it up into two sections here. First of all, we're going to look at the Old Testament and particularly on uh, earthly Jerusalem. And then we'll go to the New Testament. Now, these are important things that we're going to be re uh, repeating on the way through. Uh, I should have had, I should have had the, oh, we've got to have a red cross here, don't we? <laughs> okay. All right. So what we, we particularly want to head to is, first of all, the three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus, and then the church age, and we're going to uh, talk about the New Testament here, and what the New Testament writers do, heavenly Jerusalem, And then the end of the age, a little bit on, on this here, uh, and then we'll refer to this part at least, thousand years, uh, whatever. So sort of give you some uh, direction here, and here we have uh, the church age. Whatever it is, 2,000 years or 2,012 next year, wow, makes us feel older. Okay, so let me uh, just bear with you. I've tried to spell it out uh, very much, and it's just too, too vast. This is my own studies on earthly Jerusalem and heavenly Jerusalem through the total Bible, so just too vast, and I tried to condense some notes there. All right, so let's uh, go to uh, number one here very briefly here. 
because we've got a lot of material to cover. Okay, when you go to the Bible and you look at the uh, city building, the ungodly line began city building. And I've given you scriptures there, and they were bad cities. Cain was a city builder, and then we go to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the uh, city of Nineveh, and other different cities that are mentioned there. So the un- ungodly line uh, began to uh, build cities. Number two, the godly line lived in tents and paid no rent. We used to say when we were kids, how, how, how many? No, you're not, none of you as old as me. When I was young, we used to say, you live in a tent and pay no rent. Well, I'm not so-so now. Anybody? Am I that old? Yes, just say yes. All right. Okay, now we're going to come to these scriptures later on, but I want you to notice this. Number two, the godly line lived in tents as pilgrims and strangers looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So if you, if you just uh, glance at Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be doing this a little bit more fully later on, but I do need to seed. Uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah's ministry, those of you who have heard me uh, minister over the years, uh, Jeremiah's ministry is very vital on some of the issues we're dealing with. What about Israel? What about the time at the end? What about Jerusalem and everything like that? What about rebuild Babylon? So, uh, Jeremiah's ministry was two phases. He had to root out, pull down, pull up and destroy, and then he could build and plant. And over the years, I've had a lot to unlearn and relearn, and I had great anointings on some things, so I found I was wrong, then had to relearn it. Uh, and, and so over my years, I've experienced a lot of Jeremiah ministry, rooting out, pulling out, and tearing down, destroying all traditions that we all have, uh, that we listen to, we don't check the Bible out, we don't search the Bible like the Bereans, and then, uh, uh, you know, God's had to root them out, pluck them up, and destroy them before he could build and plant what I believe is truth. So, That's why I said to you before, I don't care whether you believe me or not, but at least listen to me and don't exercise your leg muscles and jump to conclusions until I'm through, okay, and then check it out for yourself. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, a couple of verses there. Verse 8, and I'm reading from Old King James on this one, by faith Abraham, uh, when he was called, everybody say, when he was called. See, I don't like to hear people say, oh, well, Abraham stepped out in faith. No, he didn't step out in faith. He did step out in faith when? When he was called. That makes all the difference. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive from inheritance, obeyed, and went out not knowing whether he went. And I've heard Christians say, oh, I don't know where I'm going, Abraham. He just, he didn't know where he was going. No, when he was called. Then we go to verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And everybody notice this verse 10. For he looked for a city, earthly Jerusalem or heavenly Jerusalem. What do you think? Read it. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Okay, keep that in mind. Then you go down to uh, uh, verse 13, for time's sake. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is, what sort of a country? A heavenly country. So they're not on a misguided tour, worried about a bit of geographical land in the Middle East. They're looking for a, a better country, a heavenly country. And then notice the next part. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So we've got to sort out what city are we talking about? 
Heavenly Jerusalem or earthly Jerusalem? Okay, so back to your notes here. Uh, number two, Abraham was called out Ur of the Chaldees, Babel. And interesting that Ur of the Chaldees, Babel, uh, uh, ancient Babylon is really Iraq today. If we could just get rid of some of these old traditional names. Uh, then uh, number three, God spoke of the place for his name. Turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 12. I need to uh, move through some of this historical part reasonably quick quickly. In, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, remember that uh, as the, at the moment there have been pilgrims and strangers in the, in the country, uh, far country, and the Israelites have been in uh, Egyptian bondage for many years. And right through this chapter, if you mark your Bible, the key word is the place, the place, the place. So, uh, uh, no, I've marked it in my Bible, verse 5. But you shall seek the place which the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there shall you go. And notice in verse 6, There shall you take your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herds and flocks. He doesn't say send your, your tithes and offerings to box 666. Okay, go down to verse, you're supposed to laugh at that. Okay, verse 11, Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to place his name abide. Go to verse uh, 14, But in the place... And then in verse 18, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place. So God had some place in mind, way back at the beginning and told the nation of Israel, when, when I bring you to the promised land, there's going to be the place that I choose and where my name is going to be. Verse 21, if the place which the Lord your God has chosen to put his name there. Uh, verse 26, Go to the place. So over and over again, if you mark your Bible, notice the imp importance of that place. All right, number four, and you'll get this on the diagram I'll give you uh, in our break. The original name of Jerusalem was Jebus, and it belonged to the Jebusites of the Canaanites. And notice, even though God chose this place, as we see for his purposes, it was a polluted, polluted city to be cleansed and chosen by the Lord God. I've given you enough scriptures there. Then we come to the time of Joshua, and you'll get this, as I said, on your diagram. I've done it more fully there for you. Joshua took the land of the Canaanites, Judah, uh, the tribe of Judah was given Jebus, but failed to drive out the Jebusites out of Jebus. Then, number six, David in due time conquered it, and we find that Jebus became Jerusalem and the capital of the kingdom under David. So, note the history right through to the Canaanites under Joshua, then the land and Judah, and they never conquered it. David conquered it. And then number seven, David, uh, Jerusalem is mentioned some uh, 812 times. If I've missed one, my eyes will pop up when I count them. And it's translated as Salem three times. The name interpreted means simply city of peace. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, so it's developed over the time. And uh, some of the expositors say it was developed from Jehovah Jireh, Jireh, and it was recognized as the city of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek came from Salem, which means peace. Then number eight, it was the chosen place for the name of the Lord. And there we just see God's choice all the way. And this has to do, those who have done Key and Holy Seminar, election. We have the chosen father, Abraham, the chosen son, Isaac, the chosen nation, Israel, the chosen king, David, and the chosen city, Jerusalem. Then important things about the city of Jerusalem. So this is under Old Testament history. Uh, number nine, the tabernacle of David was in Jerusalem, in Zion. And uh, you just read the Psalms of Zion. Uh, Zion came into great significance there. The uh, Davidic order of singers and musicians. And uh, uh, those of you had some teaching on this. In the tabernacle of Moses, there was no music. And no singing, no song of the Lord, everything was decent and in order and dead. But in the tabernacle of Moses, uh, tabernacle of David, pardon me, there were singers, musicians, a song of the Lord, praise and worship and everything like that. How many that you are, are in a church where we enjoy a bit of the tabernacle of David? I've been in churches where there was no singing allowed, no musical instruments, that was of the devil. 
Praise God. And then I had a few hot letters against my book on the Tabernacle of David. So people ask me, what do you think, Kevin? I said, well, while they're fighting it, I'm enjoying it. Number 10, another important thing about this city. Now note, uh, the reason I've given you this outline of history is just to show you the progression. In the city, eventually uh, was built the Temple of Solomon. And on the letter A, B, and C, whole vast study itself, that we could spend a few hours. First of all, David numbered the people. That's important because uh, without the ransom money and the plague struck. Now, some people see there seems to be a contradiction there. Satan moved David to number the people, and, uh, and the Lord moved David to number the people. The issue was uh, maybe God asked David to number the people, but you were never to number the people unless you bought the atonement money. And the purpose of the atonement money was to stay the plague. David numbered the people without the atonement money because Satan hates the atonement. And so the plague struck. And then uh, in the vision, as you read those scriptures, you find the uh, destroying angel was standing over the city of Jerusalem and about to destroy it. And uh, David said, I'm I'm, I'm the shepherd. What have these sheep done? Judge me. And then the significant thing about this was it was not only the threshing floor of Arana where David paid the full price, but it was also in Mount Moriah. So now we start to put, because in my mind the Bible is like God's divine jigsaw puzzle. When we go back to Genesis 22, God the Father, and I've said this before, but let me uh, repeat it again. In the Old Testament, God the Father often got people to do typically what he himself was going to do actually. So it's like God the Father said to Abraham the Father, you have an only begotten son, I have an only begotten son. I want you to take your only begotten son three days journey, not two days, not four days, three days journey to a particular mount uh, and offer him as a burnt offering. So Abraham, the father, takes his only begotten son, Isaac. And uh, how beautiful, the, you know, you think the Bible was inspired. How I many could say amen? Uh, Isaac, the, the only begotten, said to his father, My father, here's the fire and the knife and the wood, but where is the lamb? And uh, the father says, My son, listen to the language, I think it's inspired. My son, God will provide himself. A lamb. And it's not till about 1500 years later, John the Baptist answers Isaac's question. As he sees Jesus coming to the River Jordan to be baptized, he answers Isaac's question. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And God the Father couldn't sort of resist it. He said, He spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son. Now, get the inspired language. My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Wow. How awesome. How many think the Bible is God's divine jigsaw puzzle? We just got to learn how to put it together, not force the parts. All right. So there's the picture. We have Mount Moriah pointing to Mount Calvary, God offering his only begotten son. And how beautiful this is. Abraham was about to put the knife into his son. And God showed him a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham, the father, offered an animal sacrifice in the stead of his son. But when Jesus died on Calvary, God offered his son in the stead of an animal. And God will never go back to animal sacrifices in spite of a lot of teaching that's going around that the Jews are going to rebuild a temple, offer animal sacrifices, uh, either in this age or the millennium. God will never forsake the sacrifice of his son he said this is when john the baptist said behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world god the father said this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased when you go back to psalm 40 uh it says with sacrifice and offering you were not pleased god ordained the thing but he was never pleased with the thing he ordained but when he saw his son, he said, this is my beloved son in him, I'm well pleased. So God will never go back to offer animal sacrifice in this age or the next age. Everybody said hallelujah. Oh, that's a weak response. I said, everybody said hallelujah. 
Yes. Amen. That would be a big insult to Calvary. And you see, it would mean if God goes back to animal sacrifices, it means God has to backslide and reinstitute the Mosaic Covenant and go backside to the other side of the cross, whereas we are new covenant believers. Thank you, Kevin, for that wonderful response. Okay, so Mount Moriah and the temple and the house of the Lord. And you know one of the prophecies uh, to uh, Abraham was after he offered the animal, the ram, instead of his son, he called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, which is where they get, they say, the exposers uh, get Jerusalem from. But the prophecy was Jehovah-Jireh in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What will be seen? The temple, the house of the Lord. That was it. So there's such a significance there. Threshing floor, Mount Moriah, the temple, the house of the Lord, and the glory fire of the Lord. It was meant to be a house of prayer and praise, sacrifice for all nations. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all denominations, all, all nations, pardon me. Okay, number 11, it became the holy city, uh, the city of God, and we read these scriptures. Uh, Now, I know, I hope this is not boring to you, but it's necessary to understand what happens when Jesus comes. Okay, uh, number 12, over the years you find, and I've done a lot of history on this uh, over the years here, there was a lot of decline and apostasy, uh, ungodly kings, they uh, corrupted the temple, they've set up idols and everything like that, and you can see that in some of the uh, scriptures I've given you. Uh, and Jeremiah, you know, through the mouth of the prophet, he says, go back to Shiloh and see what I did, did, did to it for its apostasy and idolatry. And he said, I'll do it to this house. And then number 13, there were various uh, periods of revival under godly kings. Jehoshaphat had a great uh, revival, Hezekiah, uh, Josiah. And you'll find in every visitation under a godly king, they always cleansed the house of the Lord first and restored the Davidic order of worship of singers and musicians and uh, the sacrifice and the priesthood and everything like that. So there were periods of revival. Then under, under number 14, under the ministry of the prophets, the so-called major and minor prophets sent to both the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, and you can see this in the prophetical books, just gives you the big overview. And then we find under 15, there was periodic pun, uh, punishment and plundering of the city of Jerusalem by various enemies, both within and without. Now, I want you to go to number 16 here, and I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but it needs to be put in here. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 26. Everybody doing Okay. All right, Leviticus chapter 26. Now, I do wish uh, some people who are strictly pro-Israel and against the church, so they would need to read some of these chapters. Now, in uh, Leviticus chapter 26, uh, let me remind you, I think I may have done this before, but let me... Uh, just bear with me as I repeat here. We have a fourfold desolation here, and what God is saying, summarizing a uh, lengthy chapter of 46 verses here, is that uh, as long as you obey my word and keep my covenant and keep the laws of the land, and remember all, all this confusion of the land, well, who does the land really belong to, see? What, that, what, what, what a lot of God's people don't understand is because they haven't got my book on the covenants <laughs> type of thing, and they don't understand. You see, the, the land was promised, just diverting here, uh, the, the land was promised to Israel under the Abrahamic covenant. But when the Palestinian covenant was introduced, God gave them laws for living in the land. And the sum and substance was that if they did not obey the laws of the land, he said, I'm going to vomit you, pretty strong word, spew, you're making me sick. I'm going to vomit you out of the land as I vomited out the nations before you. And what God is really saying, I am the Lord of the land, or in other words, if you like a modern day expression, I'm the landlord. And as we see on the next one, number 17, is they violated the laws of the land uh, 
and actually became more corrupt than the nations before them. And so God vomited them out of the land. He said, so what about this? So Now, I mean, that's a vast subject in itself. All right, now, let's uh, draw your attention to this. This is what the chapter's about. If you do not obey me, uh, verse 18 we'll go to. I'm reading from New King James. And after all this, if you do not obey me, everybody say obey me. So the issue is obedience. And I like, and I've used this before, but I'll say it again. Andrew Murray is very good. He said, Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. That's a very good statement. The issue is obedience. That's it. So he says, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So seven times punishment, whatever that all means. Just read the whole chapter. Go down to verse uh, 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey, obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues. According, he says, the issue is obedience. Note that. Seven times more plagues. Seven times punishment. Seven times more plagues. Then go down to verse 24 for time's sake. Or verse 20, uh, 23 to lead into it. And if by these things you are not reformed by me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. How many remember the principle I gave in a previous session? Uh, principle of the word. God will be to us. Anybody? What we are to him. You confess me before men, I'll confess you. You reject me, I'll reject you. You walk contrary to me, I'll walk contrary to you. Draw near to God and he will. We've got to keep that in mind. See, and uh, We're so over here, overemphasize the love of God and not the wholeness of God. Say, yeah, I believe in the love of God, I appreciate that. But God is also holy. Okay? So, verse uh, 23 again, And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. God will be to us what we are to him. And I'll punish you yet seven times uh, for your sins. Oh, this seven times, seven times, seven times. That's a whole hour in itself to do that properly. Go down to verse uh, 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, how many see the issue is obedience? And, uh, and, and but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. It's getting hotter. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Now, go down to verse 31 through to 33, and this is your fill-in. Let me read it first of all, and then I'll, I'll say A, B, C, D. Okay, now in verse 31 he says, uh, And I will lay your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. Then shall the land rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And you see, as you go through biblical history, you find from the time they elected and chose King Saul under God's permission, permissive will, not perfect will, God allowed them to go into 70 years Babylonian captivity, which I've got here. That was to fulfill the 490 years, 70 weeks, if you please. Those who know the Bible, bet a 70-week prophecy, one of them. Because they didn't keep the Sabbaths from King Saul onwards. So that's it. Okay, letter A, the fourfold desolations of Leviticus 26. Number one, the cities. Now, the cities, this included the cities of Judah and, as we're going to see, the city of Jerusalem. The very place God had chosen to put his name there, very place of the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon, the glory of God, the presence of God. We've got to keep these things in mind in the big picture. Letter B, I've underlined it, your sanctuaries, bring your sanctuaries to desolation desolate, devoid of the presence of God. And remember how Jesus takes this up later on, we'll see. Your house is left unto you desolate. 
When you know, see the city of Jerusalem compassed with armies, know the desolation. is. Jesus is using language from Leviticus 26 and also the 70-week prophecy. So desolation of your sanctuaries. We think of the holy places and especially the sanctuary, the city. And then number uh, letter C, I will bring the land to desolation. So you've got the cities, the sanctuaries, Number three, the land. And then number, uh, letter D, number four, I will scatter you among the nations. That's the, that's the people of Judah. So fourfold desolation, the cities, the sanctuaries, the land, and the people. Way back in Leviticus chapter 26, they knew all this. Okay, let's go to number 17 quickly. You're thinking fast with me? Okay, as we go now, we come now because they are violating the laws of the land. And so the Lord land, the Lord of the land, the landlord, pardon me, is going to bring them to desolation. So under letter A, uh, number 17, we have the captivities, the house of Israel. And these, I know I'm throwing the book at you tonight. We've only got one more Sunday to do. We have the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, B.C. 721, about a hundred years or so before the house of Judah. And uh, may I say this without, uh, nobody asked questions on this one, uh, the house of Israel was to be scattered in the nations. Some of them, some people refer to them as the lost tribes of Israel. And I actually have a letter, a copy of a letter from a Jewish rabbi and say, we are not the whole house of Israel. The lost 10 tribes will be revealed before the Messiah comes. That's what some of the Jewish rabbis recognize. Anyway, that's a subject in itself. Assyrian captivity. Then letter B, over 100 years later, the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, went into Babylonian captivity. And this was only going to be for a period of time, 70 years. I'll tell you why later on. All right, now notice what was desolated. The city of Jerusalem. Desolation. The temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The land was desolated. And the people of Judah were taken to captivity for 70 years to Babylon. And if we think modern terms today, they were taken to Iraq. Now you think of this, Jerusalem and Babylon, they're in Babylon, taken from Jerusalem. The city of God, now to the city of idols. You know, loaded, loaded information there. Number 18, history books. A restoration period. Now, remember the 70 years captivity for the house of Judah only was, for, it was to be for 70 years, not for the house of Israel. And the history books, we have uh, the restoration period under Ezra, Nehemiah, Book of Esther, and the prophetical books, the restoration prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then I have to take some things for granted here. Daniel's prophecy, and Daniel's prophecy was from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build, not the temple, but restore and build Jerusalem, will be so-and-so unto Messiah, the prince. So from unto the Messiah. So Daniel's prophecy is very clear about the coming of the Messiah. And the reason was why God brought the house of Judah out of Babylon captivity back to Jerusalem to restore the city, restore the temple, restore the land, and restore the people of Judah was to hold them there until Messiah came the first time, the first three and a half years we have here. That's the picture we have. Okay, so preparation for the coming Messiah, and I've got it there, what I've just said. The temple... The city, the land, and the people were restored back to the city to be there for the first coming of Messiah. Then then number 19, and I know we're sweeping whole vast things, but I, I'll give you a diagram that says it all. 
400 silent years after Malachi to John the Baptist, Messiah's forerunner. So from Malachi, the last of the prophets of the Old Testament, we have the period referred to as the 400 silent years when there's no prophetic voice. God ceased to speak through the prophets, said they've got the prophets, got the writings, got the scriptures. If they don't listen to them, so God had nothing else to say until John the Baptist and then John the Baptist. And remember the archangel who gave Daniel the 70-week prophecy is the archangel that turns up to Zacharias at the time of incense while the people are praying in the outer court and appears to him and tells him about the birth of John the Baptist, the Messiah. And then he, the archangel flew or transported real quickly over to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So exciting things, but the purpose was hold them there until Jesus came. Now, number 20 is very important, and you, you bear with me reading this part here. Jerusalem and the ministry of Messiah. So what we've done now is just had a, a big overview from Jebus to Joshua's time, to David's time, Solomon's time, right through the ministry of the prophets, the revivals and apostasies, 400 silent years, John the Baptist comes and then Messiah comes. comes. So Jerusalem and the ministry of Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And approximate time without any setting date, B.C. 4, A.D. 26, 34, approximately. And uh, let me read this. I think I've said it as good as I can there. From Jordan to Calvary, we have three and a half years, which I understand now, and we dealt, dealt with this the first night. How many remember the first night? Time, times, and a half a time, which is a period of three and a half years. So we find that Jesus ministered for three and a half years, which was the first half of the 70 week of Daniel's prophecy. There was the most stupendous ministry the world has ever witnessed because of who he was and is the incarnate Son of God. How many can say amen to that? So, so you've got to see the big picture from God's viewpoint. Of all the cities in the world, God chose one city, sanctified, cleansed it, chose it, had his temple built there, tabernacle, David, all this, and the Messiah comes to that, to that city. So that's it. There's no city in the world can, can be compared with it. We've got to keep that in mind. So uh, Jesus came from heavenly Jerusalem to earthly Jerusalem. Ministry of signs and wonders. My wife and I do that. I sign. She wonders. <laughs> no, I wonder. And she's uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay breaking the spell here and the teaching of the gospel of the kingdom the blind see the deaf hear the tongue uh, the deaf the yeah, the tongue speaks yeah the dead are raised disciples made no one and nothing can compare with the ministry of christ isaiah 35 isaiah 40 says you know the voice crying in the wilderness and the eyes of the blind shall see and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped the lame will walk all the messianic ministry is prophesied in isaiah Christ's ministry was consummated in the rejection of the Messiah and his death, burial, resurrection, ascension back to the Father. And as I said uh, last week, I think it was, when they said his blood be on us and on our children, that's the sad th thing to me. And uh, sometimes I really, I really do cry over this because they invoked upon themselves and their unborn generations, the curse of innocent blood. And if they read the book of Leviticus, not only chapter 26, but the rest of the book of the, of the curse of innocent blood and how the land would be defiled by the curse of innocent blood. And as I said, there are hundreds of Jews now coming to Jesus and it's only as they accept the blood of Jesus for forgiveness of sins that the curse of innocent blood is lifted. Uh, how many can say amen on that? It grieves me to say that, but that's, that's it. The cup of iniquity is filled to its fullness in this act. Here in Jerusalem, uh, in fact, while I'm on that, turn, turn to Matthew chapter 20, 23, I think it is. Matthew chapter 23. I meant to put the scripture down. Matthew chapter 23. 
Yes, and go to verse 32, because here's the implication. You could write that down on, on this point. The cup of iniquity is filled to its fullness in this act. So in verse 32, it says, uh, Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. And uh, I think I'll be dealing with this in our final session. God gives to every nation and every individual a cup. It's either a cup of iniquity or the cup of prayer. We'll deal with that. Yes, I've got that in mind. And you see, the generation that brings that cup of iniquity to fullness, it is turned upside down on them in judgment. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this next week. So the, Jesus is saying, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. And so the great guilt was filling up the cup when they said, his blood be on us and on our children. They invoked the curse of innocent blood. And that's been the tragic history. And then verse 33, horrible language. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of, of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, as son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. I mean, just read the history on that. Verily I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And then he weeps. Wow, just awesome. And then number 24, 20, uh, 21, sorry, number 21 God in his grace said, I'm going to build my church. Jesus said that. And even though Jesus is, you know, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascends back to heaven, in Acts chapter 2, we have the Holy Spirit poured out. The New Testament church is born to continue the ministry that Jesus began both to do and teach. That's all in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And then notice the word that Jesus gave before his ascension. From Jerusalem, the gospel was to go to all the world. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's all spelt out there. In the last days, the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. All right, now, I want you to go to, we're coming, coming now. The ministry of Jesus is finished. And just before he goes to the cross... I want you to note uh, some of the sad things, very sad things he says as he goes to the cross. Number 22, and then uh, I think you need a break. After three, uh, at the, uh, as the three and a half years ministry of Jesus came to, came to its end, and with the rejection of him as the promised Messiah and the Son of God, consummating in his death, burial, and resurrection, there is a complete change in the Lord's words now about the city of Jerusalem and the temple of God. I want you to notice this. Really important. Note and read the following. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Everybody doing okay? You didn't mind a little bit of history? <laughs> I mean, it took me hours to work that out. I give it away in 55 minutes. Okay, Matthew chapter 21. Now notice the scriptures I've given you. This is what Jesus said. It's not what Kevin Connor said. It's what Jesus said. And he's dealing with the city of Jerusalem. First of all, we have two parables. Matthew 21 and we go to verse 33. Now I just want to pick out some, country, uh, some, uh, so, uh, some sentences here. But listen to the language and... We haven't got time to fully interpret it. Verse 33, hear another parable. All right, as has been said often, parable is an earthly soil with a heavenly mind, a meaning. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, and digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, let me interpret a little bit here, his prophets, the servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. 
Again, he sent other servants, prophets, more than the first, and they did to them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying they were reverence my son. Now, we haven't got time to milk this too much, but get the big picture. Over the years, since the Lord chose Israel, brought them out of Egypt, he sent unto them his servants, the prophets, and they beat them, stoned them. Isaiah tells us in history that he was uh, sawn in half in a, as he ran into a tree for safety. And, and what happened? Last of all, he sent his son. Said, thou reverence my son. But what happened? But when the husbandmen, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, they were Sadducee, um, and so forth, and the priests, the religious leaders, when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. It brings you to the cross. And let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. The crucifixion. When the Lord, therefore, the vineyard comes, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, the church, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And then he goes on, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, same he's become the head of the corner, and this is the Lord's doing, it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Listen to this, he's speaking to the religious leaders now, given to a nation. If you turn, how, how many did uh, Pearls from Peter session? Okay, you'll find that the nation there is the church. You are a holy nation of royal priesthood. The kingdom of God is taken from Jewry and given to a new nation, not America, not Australia, not Malaysia, not China, the church, a nation within the nations. Given to a nation, bring forth roots thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, think of Daniel too, on a, uh, shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind with powder. And 45 uh, always amuses me a little bit. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they got the point. They perceived that he spake of them. Let's kill him. This is the air. Shows they recognized the son. Killed him. All right. 24. Let's go quickly. We sneak one other one. Chapter 22. It's on your notes. Um, verses 1 through to 14. But because of time here, let's just pick up a verse here. Now, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, you've got on your notes there. He still continues in parables. And Jesus then spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, the father, which made a marriage for his son, the son. Okay, you should be safe on that. Sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Same servants. They would not come. He sent other servants. Say, everything's ready. Dinner, everything. Come to the marriage. They made light of it. Went this way, one way, and everything like that. The remnant took his servants and treated them sp uh, spitefully, slew them. Now, note verse 7, and we'll hold it there. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, wroth <laughs> in America, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers, and underline the next part, burned up their city. That brings you to Matthew chapter 23, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.